Hey, good morning, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us as we gather together to lift up the name of Jesus. And uh, I'm glad you took me up on my offer. I told you if you would come to church today, I would give you an extra hour to sleep last night. (laughs) And so hopefully no one will fall asleep. Even though you had an extra hour of sleep, hopefully you used it. One group that we're really thankful got an extra hour of sleep are our student ministry. They're on a retreat this weekend. 300 middle and high school students went out to uh, a retreat center and they'll be back after this service. Hopefully they'll be somewhat rested. Most likely not. (laughs) We're glad you're here and we're continuing this series called Follower. And we're really looking at what a follower of Jesus looks like. If you're visiting for the first time, uh, I'm really thankful that you're here. I absolutely love to get up and uh, each weekend and and prepare and share people uh, share with people a whole the whole picture of uh, the the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about gospel today and and sharing the good news about Jesus to the people that God has placed in our lives. And and here's what that looks like. That, that a follower has the pattern of sharing the greatest news of Christ with people in their lives. And that's what I want to talk to you about. What does it look like for you to share the greatest news? Well, what is the greatest news? And the good news is uh, really called the gospel. And it's the good news told uh, amongst the backdrop of the bad news about who we are. So everyone relax. You don't have to be perfect You don't even have to be really good to get in because we have someone who came and lived for us and died for us and rose again for us. His name is Jesus and we're here to lift up his name. So if you are here and you had a really horrible week, the gospel tells you it's not in your performance that gets you in. If you are here and you go, man, I've had this awesome week. I deserve to walk through this door and praise the name of Jesus. Sorry. You're not in because of what you've done. You're here because of what Christ has done. And that just liberates all of us to really live as Christ followers. People that aren't arrogant with who we are, but people who are willing to love him and willing to, just like when we love anyone else in a deep relationship, turn from anything that would distract us, turn from sin. The Bible's word for that is repent and turn from your sin to trust and follow Christ. Life in Christ is really what we're called to. We're, we're not the answer. We're not the way. We're not the truth. We're not, you know, just pursuing that next picture of life that we can develop for ourselves. But rather, we're people who look to Christ to write his story in our lives. As you think about that, um, how does God use people? How does God use people to tell people about him? Because the reality of the scriptures is that we are God's plan A. Now, he could show up like we're going to read today. He could show up and go, I'm here. And everyone would go, wow. Yeah, he did that, by the way. Jesus Christ was born into this world. He did incredible miracles and signs that showed people that he was the son of God and that he was the savior of the world. And there were still people who didn't believe. But God's plan A is that we would be people who would take that good news. If we have been given the good news and it's a gift, it's not something we've earned or deserved, then certainly we can give it as it's been given to us freely. No strings attached, but but focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way. He says in Romans 12, he says, verse 14, how will he call on him of whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone telling or preaching them and to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news or preach the good news. And as I, as I look at this passage, he's just saying, hey, people aren't going to know unless we go. People aren't going to know when we go unless we talk about Jesus and share Jesus. And people aren't going to believe in someone they've never heard of. So God uses us to tell others. Now, we are a sending church. And what that means is every week when we get together, this feels comfortable, this feels really good, and we can, we can even look to each other and proclaim the gospel to each other. But the end of the story, and even the beginning of the story, doesn't end in this room. It actually goes when you leave. And every week, I'd love to do this, but I won't because it's creepy. Just put on a little tracking unit on everyone who comes here to church. And just look, if I could see it all on the, this regional area, where God places you this next week. Where God takes you this next week. Some of you are traveling out of town, but most of us will stay here in town. And he will use you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, with your friends, with your family. What are you going to do with that? Do we just go from one person to the next without sharing the greatest news that ever happened to us? How will they know unless we go? So what I want to challenge you to is this happens every week. We come in here and because especially this service by noon, we're gone, man. We're ready to rock. We're ready going for going for food or whatever it is that we're after. And life just moves on. What if we were intentional that when we left this place, we actually said, yes, God, I'll represent you apart from this place because there are people who aren't here. A lot of people who aren't here. And God has placed you in a place where you can speak to them. They trust you. They know you. They're your friends. They're your family. You work next to them. What if we were just intentional and said, God, whatever you want to do with me, I'm ready to share my story with them. I'm willing to share more about you with the people in my life. Because that's the reality. God uses your story to share his story with others. This is what I have seen as the most effective way to share Jesus with others. So many times when I grew up, I've kind of been around in the church a lot and I've been taught how to share your faith with people. And I even remember, ready for this, and I don't want to scare you, I did cold calls, like knock on a door. Hi, I'm Joe. This is Bill. We know Jesus. Would you like to get to know Jesus too? What would you do with that? Especially if you didn't believe in Jesus. It's kind of like, hi, I'm Joe. I'm married. Are you married? No, I'm not married. Well, hey, I got my sister over here. (laughs) She's an awesome girl. I mean, I've grown up with her. I know she'll be faithful. She'll love you. She'll never leave you. And you can get married now. I'm a pastor. (laughs) Would you like to do that right now? Because if we leave from here, someone else might pick her up. Now, we can do that. We can treat it like a sales pitch. Hi, do you have Jesus? Well, I do. And I'll show you how you can be in a relationship with him. But wait, if you act now, you will get the gift of the Holy Spirit if you act right now. With supernatural gifts. And you'll live forever. Right now, angels are standing by. You just need to pray this magical prayer. And everything will be better for you. We can make the pitch, and I've done that. And no one, no one wants Jesus reduced to a sales pitch. Especially if you value him and you live for him. 
and you give your life for him. So I, that's why I think your story is you. And it's what God has done in your life. And all I'm asking you is to be real. Be an authentic follower of Jesus who's willing to share more about Jesus than you are about yourself through your story. Let's take a look in the scriptures. I think it's really going to be uh, a, a, a re, you know, a refreshing picture of how to share your story with others by listening to Paul share his story in Acts chapter 26. If you have your Bibles, open up there with me to Acts chapter 26. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of a background. This is towards the end of Paul's life and his ministry. He is arrested in Jerusalem for being in the temple, but also being a Jesus follower. You see, the Jewish religion at that time thought Christianity was its greatest threat. And so any Christians or Christ followers, they would hunt down and literally try to kill. He was uh, once that guy who used to persecute believers. But here he came to Christ. And he's arrested in Jerusalem. So many people wanted Paul dead in Jerusalem that it took this Roman legion to, in the night, take him secretly out of that place and go to Caesarea by the sea. I visited Caesarea by the sea. It was built by Herod the Great. It's right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And the ruins of which Paul walked through are still there today. But it was a much greater city than it is today. And you can still see the mosaics. And in this area where it juts out into the Mediterranean Sea, there's where the governmental offices used to be and even the the jail. And that's where he stayed. He was just kept there for over two years. And on one occasion, he uh, comes to the leader of that area named Festus. What a great name. Festus. And, and appeared before the king, King Herod Agrippa. And if you settle, st- study the Palestinian history of the land, the Herods ruled that area for Rome. You may remember Herod the Great. He built Caesarea by the sea. And he also built the second temple and the surrounding area, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Those were his two monumental uh, building projects. And whenever I go to Israel, I take people to those places. Because it's just, they're awesome. That, that no machines, just manual, sometimes slave labor, built these incredible uh, cities. And so uh, King Agrippa was there. And King Agrippa II was actually the great-grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great tried to kill Jesus, when he was born, right outside of Bethlehem, he, and then his brother um, tried uh, beheaded John the Baptist, and his brother beheaded James, son of Zebedee, and here we've got Herod Agrippa II, who's trying Paul, a Roman citizen, in this epicenter of Roman activity in Palestine. And so Paul stands up and gives his story. Let's take a look at it in verse 4 of chapter 26. He says, My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known it for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand here on trial. Because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I'm accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? And what Paul was saying is, look, I believe in the resurrected Christ. He literally lived, died, and rose from the dead. I've seen him. 
And, and that's a work of God. But he was ultimately here giving his whole picture of a backstory. His backstory. This is who I am. This is where I'm from. This is what used to be important in my life. And he shared, uh, I was from Jer- Jerusalem. He was always a Jew, grew up into a Jewish family, who was also a Roman citizen, born a, a Roman citizen as a Jewish leader there. And then, and then was a Pharisee, which is the strictest grouping of the Jewish faith. They really thought they were righteous and in with God. And he gives that background. Do you know you have a backstory? And most of the time, when you introduce yourself, you share the backstory. Because people go, hey, who are you? And where are you from? I'm Joe. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. How'd you get to Milwaukee? Well, actually, my grandfather was born and raised in Ramallah, which is five miles just north of Jerusalem. And he left Ramallah under Turkish occupation of the land and came to the United States in the late 20s, went through Ellis Island, and then came to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He died when my dad was 10 years old. So I've never met my grandfather on my dad's side. And uh, right after he died, a lady knocked on the back of the back door of my grandma's house. And her name was Edith Tapper. She was an older woman and she was a widow and she knocked down the door and my grandma opened the door and she said, Hey, Marie, I have heard your husband passed away. I'm your neighbor and I brought dinner for you. So here have dinner. My my grandmother had her come in. They sat down and she said, Hey, I don't know if your children go to church, but I'd love to take them to church with me. And my grandmother was Greek Orthodox. I don't know if any of you have had a Greek Greek Orthodox background, but Greek Orthodox are kind of like Catholics but without the Pope. And they believe essentially the same thing, that you get into heaven by you doing your part and God doing his part. And so she said, you can take them, but don't baptize them because I don't want you converting them. (laughs) And so she took them. And it was in that church that my dad heard the gospel of Jesus, that he really was a sinner and he can't save himself. And he needed Jesus to do that. So he put his faith and trust in Jesus to do that. And he grew up in that church and different men came into his life and discipled him and invited them to be a part of their family with their sons. My dad still has friends from growing up in that church. And it's just fascinating to see that because my dad grew up in that church and, and then he met my mom in that church and they got married in that church and they had four children, not in that church, but they had, they had four children and they raised us up in that church. And it was that church that had a great influence in my life. And I think about this. I'm here preaching today because way back when my grandfather died, uh, a widow knocked on the back door and brought dinner and invited my my grandmother and her children to a church. Now think about it. You have no idea what God does or what God will do when you're simply available to take a meal and let people know you care. I mean, God will do an incredible thing. What's your backstory? We get to know each other that way. We, we love to hear the backstory. Don't just lead into a sales pitch about Jesus. Share your life. It's much more effective when you're building relationships with people God has already placed in your life. Let's continue with Paul. He says this. 
I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. If you have read the book of Acts, here in Acts chapter 9, we're in, I know we're in verse, or chapter 26, but in chapter 9, there was Stephen. He was the first martyr. And when he was stoned to death outside of Jerusalem, Paul was there going, yep, he should die. That's what Paul meant. Look at verse 11. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. What was Paul saying? He was kind of sharing, this is what I used to think about Jesus. In other words, your backstory had basic beliefs. And it's basic beliefs that you held sincerely and personally, but unfortunately they weren't right. Um, a lot of us have basic beliefs that we used to think about Jesus, about a relationship with him. A lot of us come from a background of performance, that God helps those who help him themselves. And so I've got to be good. I've got to do good. And if someday my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'm in. Then I can be a real true Christian and I'll have eternal life. See, it's all based on performance. And a lot of people hold that sincerely. But the scriptures show us just plainly that that we can be sincerely wrong. Some of us come from backgrounds where we didn't even believe in God. We thought Christians were all hypocrites and we wanted nothing to do with that. Some of us thought, man, there's no way a rational person can believe in the supernatural and all these things about miracles, all this stuff about Jesus being the son of God, even the concept of God. We felt, man, that's just for people who have simple minds. They're not as intelligent as I am and they haven't really looked at things like I have. And we hold our beliefs pretty strongly, but after you come to Christ, you kind of look back on that and go, man, that that was me. That's right where I was. What's your backstory? What's your basic beliefs that you held about Jesus before you put your faith and trust him? Some of you are a work in progress right now. You're here and you haven't even made up your mind about, is there a God or who is Jesus? But you're here to find out more. I talked to a woman this morning. She came here, her initial angle was, well, man, I at least need to understand who I deeply oppose in this world, Christians, people who believe in God. And so she started coming to fellowship just to understand us so that she could refute us better. And she came to Christ. Your backstory has a lot of basic beliefs. Who is God? Who's Jesus? Who are you in his plan? And Paul said, this is who I used to be. I used to punish him because I believe that Jesus was against God. His Any belief about the Jesus of Nazareth was not a vote for God. And so I killed people in the name of God because they believed in Jesus. Your story has basic beliefs. But let's keep reading about Paul's story. So in this connection of wanting to stomp out Christians, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. He says, at midday, O king... I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, this is pause real quick because that you were following me until I said it's hard for you to kick against the goads because you don't know what goads means, right? Neither did I. I had to look it up. A goad was used in, uh, in ancient times as a stick to hit an ox that was plowing a field. And so as whoever was making that line straight as the rows were being plowed, it, the, 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 sometimes the ox wouldn't want to go down a path, so it would kick at the goad. Use goad for words with friends sometimes. It gives you a few extra points. <laughs> but what it meant is, Paul, you can't fight against the word of God. I've brought you to this point in time to show you myself. It's hard for you to go against the will of God for you. And so I, he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And that's something for us. When we oppose Christians, we oppose Christ. He was persecuting. Jesus took it personal that he was persecuting his followers. Verse 16, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and to witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. And here was what I'll do, Paul. I'm going to deliver you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes. This is a great part. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What Paul was sharing was his defining moment of faith. He said, this is what happened to me. I was literally confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. It was a bright light and literally kept him blinded for days after He had to be led back into Damascus. He had to be led to someone who could unveil what the whole picture of the gospel was so that he could believe in it. But he had a defining moment of faith. You had a defining moment of faith. You came to the end of yourself, the end of your work, the end of you trying, and you began to trust. And that moment of faith we're all called into. And we aren't called into just a belief in God. And a lot of people say, that's when I believed in God. Well, Folks, Satan believes in God. What is it about God that you believe? We have to be clear of what faith is. Faith is trusting in Jesus who lived and died and rose again for you and to receive his work on your behalf. The biblical word for this is redemption. And what it literally means is that Jesus exchanged what was his with what we deserved. So Jesus exchanged our rejection of God and rejection in, in our sins, uh, he exchanged that for acceptance from God. Our punishment that we should have received from God, Jesus exchanged with the righteousness of God. So it's only through Jesus that we can be saved. And saving faith trusts in the work of Jesus and turns from our sin to follow him. So when you come to Christ, that defining moment is really a transfer of trust and a turning from your sin. Have you done that, by the way? Have you had a defining moment of faith? Now, I don't believe you've got to remember the exact second in the history of your life when this happened. But you need to know, man, this is what I used to believe about God. But now I believe that he's really shown himself through Jesus. 
and I put my faith and trust in Jesus. That needs to be part of your story because Paul shared his defining moment of faith. Some of us came to Christ when life just stunk and we were at the end of ourselves. And, and as a matter of fact, many of us were broken and we came to Christ. Some of us were confronted by life and we came to Christ. Some of us just searched the scriptures and wanted to find out truth. And we came to Christ and we, we learned really he is from the scriptures and you believed what God's word said about Jesus and you trusted him. When was your defining moment of faith? It's, it's our desire that everyone would encounter the risen savior, Jesus. So Paul continues. He says in verse 19, he says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God. In other words, turn from their trying and their trusting in themselves to follow Jesus and performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, he said, the Jews seized me in the temple and they tried to kill me. To this day, I've had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying both to small and to great crowds of people saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. That the Christ must suffer. And being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So Paul was saying, look, this message of salvation in Jesus is for everyone. It's for everyone. It's for people who are slaves in front of me as he was preaching to a crowd and people, you, King Agrippa, the the strongest, most powerful person in, in this land. And he said, ultimately, this is why I gave my life to it because I really believed that everyone should turn from their sin to trust in Christ. Because your story has an ongoing, enduring purpose. God's going to use your story. We're called to be faithful in sharing our story with others. And don't worry about the results. Don't worry about the results. I've talked to people who have left the United States to go to a foreign area like Indonesia and, and advance the gospel of Jesus in a place like that. And they waited 10 and 20 and 30 years before one person believed in Christ. Was it worth it to go? I think we could all go, whoa, was that worth it? I don't know what it was worth it because you don't know what God's doing with your story. Do you know how many times the average person says no to God before they say yes? I don't know, but it's a lot more than one. So God's going to use you as you share that story. And he's going to build the base of, of knowledge and understanding with people of who he is. But when you share your story, you go personal with people. Let's look at what the response was when Paul shared the story. And if anyone, I mean, this is a guy who took the gospel to the ends of the earth. If anyone should have success, it should be Paul, right? He shared his story. God's just going to do a wonderful work. Everyone's going to go, yes, yes, we've been waiting for this. Thank you so much. Let's trust Jesus. Is that what's going to happen? Let's take a look. And as he was saying this thing in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. That's not acceptance. (laughs) Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. In other words, this guy's crazy. This guy's crazy. I've had a few people tell me that about what I believed. Are we okay with being crazy? Or being called crazy? 
Yeah. Especially on the coast to the U.S., like on the East Coast, there's a strong rejection of belief in God at all. Not Don't even bring Jesus into this. Any religious angle, strong rejection. How can you keep a rational mind and believe in the supernatural? On the West Coast, it's seen more as if you share this with your kids, if you go to church, that's child abuse. You're forcing your beliefs on your children. And so our world is saying this, what Festus said. This is nothing new. Christians have heard this from the first century until now. Let's get used to it. When you reject Christ, you're going to call anyone who believes in him crazy. Paul even didn't call him just crazy. He wanted to kill him. So Paul said to this, look at how he says and responds here with gentleness and respect. He says, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And to him, I speak boldly. For I'm persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. And what he was saying here, let me just explain it a little bit more, is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just appear to one person in the middle of the woods and opened up some scrolls and said, here's the Bible now. He didn't do that. He showed himself to the whole city uh, or a whole bunch of people around the city of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, Paul details this in 1 Corinthians 15, that it wasn't just the apostles and all the followers of Jesus. It was also 500 more eyewitnesses who saw the risen, living body uh, of Jesus. And so it wasn't done in a corner. You've heard this story, King Agrippa. You may have even talked to people about this. It's not, on, it's not in the corner. This has always been out in the open. So then he makes his appeal to King Agrippa. And he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? In other words, with Agrippa, it was more of, I'm much too intelligent for this to be sold to me on the first pass. I need more information. And don't be arrogant to think I'm going to make a decision right now. He, he kind of resented that he was asked to respond to the person and the work of Jesus in that. Some of you have come to Christ after many no's. <laughs> you probably represented that. I'm not going to do that now. Why? Because I want to do it on my own terms. Okay? That's what King Agrippa wanted to do. And so Paul said to him, he said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day to become such as I am, except for these chains. So if you can picture it, he literally had shackles on as he was explaining the gospel. And he said, I wish you would have the relationship with God that I've had and experienced, except for being chained up. You would be like, I set free. No one a prisoner anymore with God. And so he used that. It's an ongoing story. You never know what God is going to do when you share that story. But share it. Share it. Folks, there's going to be resistance. There's going to be resistance. And I would just say there's resistance in three areas. There's resistance above you. There's resistance around you. And there's resistance within you. And as I think about this, We need to go to the scriptures for encouragement because there is literal spiritual battle going on for that's resisting you from sharing the greatest thing you've ever been given by God, Jesus. And and that's a real force. I I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He says, in their case, the God of this world, who's that? That's Satan. 
would, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There's this blindedness. And if you ever went through your, most of your adulthood life not believing, you, you could say, man, I didn't believe and I had all these issues, but now I do. Something has happened for you to go from a blinded state to where you could clearly see it. And now you're following Christ and you see it all the more. The glory of Christ is kind of like shining in you. But that is something Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy anything God is doing. And so it's a threat to him when someone becomes a believer. That's things happening above you. But then there's things happening around you. And 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I don't like that verse. Because I like to be a comfortable Christian. I like comfortable seats when I'm worshiping. I like comfortable temperatures. If it's too cold in here, man, they're going to hear about it. (laughs) We like comfortable things. And here it says, anyone who follows Jesus, there will be persecution. Now, we may not be shackled like Paul. We may, but we're not right now. We may not be shackled. There are some believers today, this morning, who are in prison because of their proclamation of the gospel, the good news about Jesus in their country. But we have to deal with other areas of persecution. Things that we value a lot, like our reputation, our image, the management of our image, how people perceive us, the approval of others. Those things are where, we're, where we are persecuted here. Are you okay with someone saying, you're out of your mind? Are you okay with someone saying, hey, good for you, but not for me? Will you continue to love someone who calls you a name because of what you believe? I think we have to. We have to show a picture of who God is by loving people who reject us and reject him. We're called into that. And that's the, that's the resistance around you. But even there's, there's resistance within us. I don't want to come off. I, I don't want to, I don't know all the answers to all the questions. Well, neither do I. And so when someone asks me a question, I don't know. I usually go now that I've grown up a little bit. I go, I don't know. I know that might be a threat to those of us who like an answer for everything. But when I don't know, I tell people that. I've never had someone say, oh, man, if you can't answer that one, we're done talking. No, they just ask another question. And I might have that answer. So fight that resistance within you, around you, and above you. Because here's the promise that John talks about. He says in John 1, 1 John 4, 4, he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome all those things against this world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than the power of Satan. He who is in you is greater than the power of whatever is around you with persecution. He who is in you is even greater than yourself. And that's the one who we need to draw our power and our strength from. So we need to trust God with our story and trust our story with others. So what does this look like? Here at Fellowship, we have a phrase. It's called you and two. That there's two people in your life right now who are far from God, but you don't have to go cold calling them. You already know them. They're in your family. They're, they're in your friend group. They're people you work with. They're people you live next to. But there's two people in your life who are far from God that you would just be willing to pray, God, would you make my life available to share more of you with them? 
I'm going to show them that you love them by loving them. I'm going to show them that you care for them and that you're the truth by sharing the truth as you give me that opportunity. I'm not going to try to force it. I'm not going to treat it like a sales pitch. I'm not going to treat them like a project. I'm going to love them. Write down their names right now on your, on your uh, notes if you've got it or if you've got your phone out. Um, stop looking at Facebook and just put down two names. Take a look at two names, people already in your life that you'd be willing just to pray for. Maybe it's a roommate. Maybe it's, maybe it's someone who lives in your dorm for your college. But I don't believe your life is an accident. And I don't believe this week is purposeless and pointless. I believe God has placed you right where he wants you in places I could never go with people I could never speak to and share my story. That God has already placed you in an area. Who knows what's going to happen this week? But can I just say something? Legacies are formed when you start with the next person God places in front of you. Edith Tapper had no idea that by offering a meal it would result in two generations later of me before you preaching right now. She was limited, but God had a plan. What is God's plan for you? You'll never know until you step into being available with the gospel. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for this time. Thanks for each person you have placed in this room. In just a few minutes, you are going to scatter us all around the city and this region. May we be people who live intentionally for you. May we share the greatest news ever given to us. Lord, I pray for someone in here who may not know uh, about that defining moment in their faith. They believe there's a God, but that's about it. I pray that they would see the truth of Jesus and that they would put their faith and trust in his work and his power and they would turn from their sin to trust and follow him. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great news. May we be people who are willing willing to share it with the people in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.